Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Hello everybody, Matt Walsh here with another episode of the podcast, another big episode uh, on the way because we've had upsets, we've had lightning stoppages, we've had more upsets, we've had MRO drama, Jake Michaels. Uh, we sit here most weeks and talk footy, but I tell you what, the stuff that we talked about last week is almost redundant because uh, AFL is a quick moving beast, it seems. Oh, it is. Um, and I'm just wondering if it starts, if we get lightning and thunder here, can we stop the podcast and come back in half an hour? Uh, can, can we just uh, can we stop working and have the day off? A bit of an RDO, that'd be nice. Um, I can't Christian, remember a game ever finishing so late on the East Coast. I was, especially on a Monday night, it was, um, yeah, it was strange very strange to say the least i know that they have the monday night games over in perth because the clubs are required to do a week of quarantine and all that sort of stuff but um it was a very late start and and for a monday uh i found myself my eyes were sort of starting to droop a bit uh, towards the end there when they when they got back on but uh given the ending it ended up being quite exciting yeah it was uh christian jolly were you working last night on the uh west coast melbourne game i was <laughs> what time did you end up getting to sleep through the short straw uh i got home because I, I live out in packing it's a fair way out from the city i got home about 20 past 12 on a monday night there was the freeway was a bit closed as well for some roadworks and all the so other you can't do these games from home so not not the uh not the live match roll so no yeah, right. midweek stuff from home and when the live yeah. games are on we're in the office uh yeah way too late for my liking essential worker I was yeah, going to say, the, the drive out to Packenham, we would have done in record time last night. <laughs> There's not a lot of people around. I did. I, I must say, I did notice a lot of people on the tan on Saturday and was wondering if you need a QR code to run around that thing because <laughs> it looked like 80% of Melbourne, if they were out of the house, they're at the tan. But no, yeah, I am. I've sort of been travelling the um, the lonely roads at night during lockdown. It is. It's quite eerie on the Monash with one or two trucks around you, and that's about it. Yeah, well done. Uh, something quirky or interesting from the weekend, guys, that grabbed your attention, Jake? Myself. I'm going to the Bulldogs Bombers game, which, which, which I thoroughly enjoyed. But that third quarter, I think it was, there were four posters in a quarter, which I don't think happens often. And I've asked Christian to come up with these numbers, so tell us: is that is that rare? So that that was the most in a quarter this year. We've had three quarters previously where there's been five posters in a quarter. Um, That's since you've been there. recording these. Yeah, so that's since 2001 or 2000, we might have that parameter. But yeah, twice in 2018 and once in 2004, we've seen five and a quarter. Um, well, yeah, we've seen nine in a game is the most in a game, uh, which has happened four times. But one of them was earlier this year, round three, uh, Tiger Swans at the MCG. There was nine posters in that game. Yeah, right. Maybe, uh, maybe a discussion for another day, but should you be getting more points for something like that? I mean, it's obviously a hard thing to do. <laughs> I don't don't change the rules again. <laughs> We've got discussions yeah, on a few. Scoreboard. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a few more discussions on rules and, and regulations a little bit later. Uh, Christian, something you noticed? Again, probably just an overall thing, but noticed it probably before the weekend and watched another round. How even is the NAB Rising Star Award this year? In- Considering especially that you've got to give a five, four, three, two, one. I know the voters uh, have to give five out. It's almost impossible to try to work out who gets the five and the one and who misses out altogether. It's just, it's, it's so even. Uh, the start of the year, the bookies had Matt Rowell as an almost unbackable favorite. So if you've jumped on anyone else, you're probably getting decent value, Jake. Yeah. Um, obviously, well, even forget the injury. I, Matt Rowell 
if he'd played this to this level throughout the year, I, I don't think he'd be in with a shot of it. Um, mm. So yeah, I, there's there's a few. I really like Tom Green from the Giants. He's played well. Um, Luke Jackson, I think, is emerging as the favourite now um, after last night. But yeah, you could throw a blanket over over half a dozen of them. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, something I noticed: goal kicking for the most part players have a pretty similar action when they're running in for a set shot and there's nothing too really untoward that you see. Like we occasionally get someone like Josh Kennedy who has a bit of a stutter um, or something like that. But um, Lloyd Meek. Good name. Great name. One of footy's great names. Um, But his, his goal that he kicked on the weekend, his first goal um, looked like a bit of a giraffe on roller skates. And I know that he's a big boy, 203 centimeters. Um, Come on, you can't be you can't be rolling around with one of those goal kicking actions when you when you're playing AFL footy. He's well, got to get get pads down at the club. It's his first goal, so we'll cut him a little bit of slack. But he's got to um, he's got to improve that technique. But it's an interesting point because it got me thinking when you mentioned this earlier. Who has the worst or most unique kicking style? Forget at goal, just around the ground. And I think it's Riley O'Brien. Riley O'Brien, and this is no disrespect to him, he looks like someone that's come from overseas that you're teaching how to kick a footy that just can't quite grasp the ball drop. It looks so unco, but he's at, he's not the worst kick. Oscar Mack, he's not the I mean, worst kick. There's a theme developing here, and it's really big guys. <laughs> I was going to say when you guys asked me that question, you know, who has the worst sort of set shot at goal and the worst kicking style? I just I exclude Ruckman out of my thoughts. I'm trying to think elsewhere because you got to cut him some slack, don't you? I mean, two hundred. Ryan Myers. <laughs> he well, he's got a unique kicking style. Is it a, is it bad? Uh it's it's really effective when it works, but when it doesn't, it looks it's bloody it's, awful. I reckon he struggles with the high. A lot of his goals go through. Bear, you know, if, yeah. if they get through, they're just all, they're almost touched. So I think, yeah, Grimeyes is it's the height that worries me with his kicking. Yeah. Um, anyway, I just thought that was that was interesting watching uh, Lloyd kick his first goal. Good on him, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, he's the only have he's the first player the in history to kick his first goal and get criticized get for it. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, let's move into the agenda for the day. Pretty even comp because we had a few upsets on the week. Um, we've had a few teams. Uh, well, the top four is separated by two points and percentage at this point of the That's season. It's crazy, really. Like between seven and 12, it's a toss up still. And there's a couple of rounds left. Um, even down the bottom, the race for the wooden spoon probably was open until the end of this week. But, you know, you've got teams that can beat anyone or at least draw with anyone on the day. And there's a closeness at just about every point of the ladder, which is kind of interesting. And got me wondering why that might be. Um, we've put together some theories. Christian, I might throw to you first because you've got some interesting statistical sort of thoughts on it all. Yeah. So we'll start with. Just, I mean, how close the season is, even taking into the, taking out sort of the ladder and where everyone sits just in terms of match margin. Um, so at the moment, it's 28.7 points per game is the average margin across the game, which is the, sort of the lowest we've seen in 20 years or the second lowest if you look at last year, which is with the shortened games at 26.2 points per game. So obviously, you've got to take into account that scoring's come down across the board. So the margins aren't going to, you're not going to see as many blowouts because teams aren't kicking higher scores um, as they were in the past 20 years uh, before this bit. So what I've actually looked at is the percentage of the losing team score to the over, overall team score. So if, if it was a draw, both teams would get 50% of the score. Um, you win, you know, um, by a point, you know, 51 to 50, you'll get 51% of the score and the losing team gets 49% of the score type thing. So this year, the losing team has got 41% of the overall score in a match. 
which is sort of the, again, it's the fifth lowest we've seen in, uh, sorry, the fifth highest nice. we've seen in um, 20 years. Um, but the first, the sort of the three lower ones before, higher ones before, the 2002, 99 and 2003. So again, back when Champion Data first started recording these numbers. Um, yeah, so sort of those seasons yeah were probably considered a bit tighter and then 2007 was another one out of the box where losing teams had 41.4 percent of the score uh, which is slightly higher than this year which is 41 percent even so again in terms of the yeah just in, in terms of the overall game scores are lower so the margins are lower but also the clo- the losing team is actually closer to the to the overall score than it's ever been um, sort of you know uh, top five across the last 20 years and then just looking at um, Sort of going back to an early big call I made this year, of we'll see less blowouts oh, here we go. Um, across the season. Again, I don't know, I don't know what defines as the blowout, but I've just gone fifty points at the moment. So there's been twenty nine games this year decided by fifty points or more. Um, the only season lower in the last fifteen years is last year, which was twenty four. Again, shortened game, shortened season. Sure, so you take that out. The next lowest is thirty five in two thousand nineteen. So we've still got another, and that includes finals. So get say another six. Um, results of 50 plus points before we get to that. Might want to knock on wood just in case. <laughs> and then 2007, and then the next lowest is 40 in 2007. So 29's a fair way uh, clear of, you know, of previous 10, 15 years, even going back to 2012, 2015, 69 games were decided by 50 points or more, 66 in 2015. So we're pretty much, you know, mm. under halfway there at the moment. So um again that's where the competition's at it, it, you know it is even even if you look at the total score but again a lot of those years that you see uh so even what i just mentioned there 2012 14 2015 gws and gold coast being introduced the two yeah. clubs back to back that really sort of uh puts it puts a major sort of impact on the numbers um having that is a good clubs, point yeah basically so far away so Again, just that's probably one thing you got to take into account. I think the, the competition's just slowly adjusting from that impact that we had there. That a lot of the draft was going to only, you know, for three or four years, they went to two, two uh, clubs. It was hard for the other clubs to rebuild. Just before then, we saw, I don't know, Mal- Melbourne, Carlton uh, went through some long, long rebuilds with very, very, very young lists just before Gold Coast came in and then just weren't able to top up with that extra talent because they were all going to Gold Coast, GWS, and... Uh, in the end. So there was a, a big void at, um, during that time. So I think, yeah, one of my theories is the competition slowly sort of getting back to, I mean, it's a professional comp, you know, the coaches put in, you know, 200 hours a week on how to beat the opposition. So there's no, there's no team that sort of, um, again, I, I think the bottom teams and the top teams are always just going to, as the competition becomes more professional, the, the gap's always going to slowly decrease between those two. I think we're really seeing it this year, but uh, another thing I've noticed is just the competition is just slightly older this year. So again, it was we've noticed in the last probably five or six drafts that more mature age guys are getting picked up. Um, but even this year, I think COVID impacted last year has sort of impacted how many teenagers we're seeing being blooded this year. So again, just looking at this stage of the season, um, we didn't have a team under the average age of 24. Um for this round. So that's the first time in the last 10 years that sort of we haven't had a team under 24. Um, and that, that, that hasn't happened in 10 years. So I'm still sort of working back before that. So again, usually you get to this point of the season, there's four or five teams that have got an average age of 23, 23 and a half, really bloody the kids youngsters. Yeah. yeah. And just 
we're not seeing that at this stage of the season. Um, so again, there's there's a couple of theories there of why I think, yeah. Considering any Overall, team down closer. to tenth to twelfth can make it, yeah, exactly. you probably don't want to be putting the kids. But even at the yeah at the pointy end of the season, we're still seeing teams really sort of trying to put their best twenty two out in the park, and we're not seeing as many teams, you know, don't want to use that word, but tanking or anything like that early in the season. So yeah, I think a few few things there to say the competition's definitely evening up. Jake, any thoughts on why it's become more even as a as a whole? Uh, no, I don't know why. Um, but I felt like this has been the case for a few years now. And it, I know the numbers probably don't say this, but since that 2016 season, I, I always felt from that point that the competition, and it might seem crazy because we had a premier, we had Richmond win three, three flags in that period to now, but it always felt super, super close and, and really tight, particularly in the middle, middle portion of the ladder. That to me is where it's, it's incredible to look at and to see how, one game, you know, Fremantle was seventh, I think, going into the round, and then they've dropped the twelfth um, with a loss. So it just shows how how tight that middle part of the ladder is. And then to see the top four split by two points, a draw is. I mean, I I, I certainly don't remember any point of uh, any season this with two games to go where the top four are split by a draw. I mean, it's incredible to think that. I just think that compared to other professional sports. I'd argue that the AFL is just about the most even competition in terms of any team can beat any team on their day. This is exactly what the AFL's wanted for a long time. I mean, a lot yeah, of the, it's the, a good the salary thing. cap, the, the, the draft order, um, the way that, that the fixtures sort of put together where you, where you play each team once and then you, you play a few teams around where you finished the, the, the previous year and your band of six. Um, I think these things are all... Have, ge- have geared towards this outcome over the last few years. And so yeah. a little side question to this is, if we were to go to a, you play each team once, would that affect it negatively? And would you see the competition perhaps not, uh, what's the opposite of even up? I mean, you know, for- Well, it'd be more, I still believe it'd be, it'd be fairer to play everybody once. Yes, agreed. Um, but it wouldn't be, it wouldn't mean the AFL season is closer overall. Yeah, I agree with that. The other thing is, then you could then it comes into play. Well, where do we play this team? Where do we play? Yeah. Well, you just you, know? you flip the coin, and the next year you you go the other way. Um, you play away, home yeah. away. So no, it is even. And I mean Adelaide. I think you can. I mean Adelaide's seventeenth, just about the you know worst team in the comp this year, and they've beaten two. They've beaten Geelong and Melbourne, potentially two grand finalists. I mean. It's incredible how even the season is, and there's no team. I mean, North started the year really, really poorly, but in since the bye, I mean, the they, last they, six or seven weeks have been. You you wouldn't look at them and think, oh god, that's got to be the worst team in the league. Yeah, well, compared to previous seasons where you've had wooden spoon winning teams winning three, four uh, yeah. games, like they've they've done a really good effort, especially from the first you know month or two where you know you get spanked by the dogs by 120 odd points and you're thinking oh geez yeah in um, the early in the year it was almost like are they going to win a game it was yeah. that dire but no they they have been able to match it with um with just about everyone they've played since the bye another one i've noticed a quirky one um i think one of the you know when a team's going bad when you get this, the queries from the journalist uh, asking is it the worst since Fitzroy? <laughs> I must admit, we have not had one yeah, of those queries this year. <laughs> Fitzroy has not come up in any sort of stat comparison this year. So that's when you know uh, we haven't quite got, yeah, with the team. Oh, that's funny. Um, just on those middle band of teams, we sort of said that any team from seven to 12 can still make finals. You'd have to be pretty fortuitous if you're Frio, for instance. Um, but 
they are a few teams that are making up the numbers and there are going to be a couple of teams that make the eight that are probably a couple of rungs down in terms of quality. I know that we say it's an even competition, but a couple of rungs down in quality of those top four teams that are quite far above the rest. We've talked about premiership metrics before and, and the things that clubs need to do uh, to be, or, or things that clubs need to do that other flag winners have done in previous years, Christian, but we've looked mostly at the top teams and, and which teams are doing those. But if we looked at those teams ranked seven to 12, have any of those teams got those metrics and could make a, an impact in finals? Yeah, so again, you sort of, the main ones we use, I think there's there's 28 metrics that, as I said, um, I think every Premier in the last 10 years has ranked at least in the top 50% of those 28 metrics. Um, I think 18 of the 28, the Premier has been in the top 70% um, for the metrics, so almost top four. So again, just, just counting how many times you're in the top six of those 28 metrics. And again, you know, Bulldogs, 26, Geelong, 20. Melbourne 24 of the 28, uh, Brisbane 24 of the 28. So the top teams definitely mm. stack up with that premiership standard. So looking at the teams currently outside the eight, um, the two that stand out to me, I mean, Richmond are still 12 of the 28. So I know they're probably, they're probably almost the furthest from the eight of, um, of the, you know, the teams that we're talking about making up that middle grouping, but again, system overall. And, you know, we know from the, the previous three or four years that, they still have it. They still play the game the right way, if you want to put it that way, um, in terms of premiership standards. And yeah, still 12 of the 28 metrics, they're in the top six four. So they're the ones that stand out the most. The next closest uh, is Essendon, who are uh, top six in eight of those metrics. So again, not a big number. Um, but again, a lot of that is it's the scoring, which Essendon can do well. So it's their, you know, top six for points for scores per inside 50, stoppage points, defensive half points. Um, but also a little bit of the ground ball stuff and the post clearance um, and yeah, post clearance, loose ball gets and things like that, which again is a good metric to, to be high in. Uh, so they're probably the main two really when you're looking at across the whole season. So across the whole 20 rounds and where they rank in, um, in those sort of premiership standard premiership standard metrics. And then if you look at recent form again, I thought it might throw up a few different names. Richmond still come up on top 13 of the top. If you just look at those metrics across the last four weeks, Richmond are in the top six for 13 of them. Next best team in that time is Hawthorne, who again, uh, can't make the eight, but the way they're playing the last, uh, uh, last few weeks, sort of, yeah, 12 of the top 12 of the metrics. They're in the top six, four um, showing some good form. Essen in, in the last four weeks are only six of those metrics. Saints are up there as well with 10. Um, so again, a few, you know, you can look at that and sort of see who's playing finals like football. But again, when you're quoting the numbers of 20 and 24 yeah. for Melbourne and Brisbane, you can see they're a fair way um, mm. away from being the top, you know, being near the top teams. What interests me, uh, and it's not really related to finals, but the fact that Clarko's just let the shackles go at Hawthorne when he knows that he's not going to be dealing with the draft pick and the draft hand that the Hawks get at the end of the season. Yeah, best they've played when he when he doesn't need the draft pick, correct? <laughs> Maybe they're playing well because they're happy he's leaving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jake, the uh, Clarko, uh, what do we call you? Clarko doubter, hater? Clarko denier. Denier. <laughs> um, there you go. So there are a few teams that have a few of these metrics. And for those who are listening who don't know what the metrics are, we did actually go through them on a previous episode. Oh, how long ago was it? Maybe a couple of months ago. And we did it a couple of years ago as well. Mm, yeah. um, 
you'd have to search through unfortunately i can't tell you off the top of my head <laughs> Put it in we, the might, notes. we might re- we might revisit it early next year when we've had a month of, uh, of footy or something like that um but yes uh you're right when you're talking about sort of 24 22 20 and then it's like 6 8 10 you can sort of see there is a bit massive of massive drop off yeah a divide between the, the clear contenders which we sort of talked about last week and the middle band who are obviously still quite competitive but just not quite at the same level mm. I, I think the bombers deserve um deserves probably not the right word i mean you, you don't get what you deserve, but the Bombers the really above do, yeah, they do feel like they've been um, the most consistent of that middle group of teams, I would say. Um, West Coast, GWS feel far too inconsistent. Richmond, I think we probably have, or so Frio's not going to make it, and Richmond we look at and think, yeah, probably not quite there. The injuries have really taken taken their toll. Um but the Bombers and the Saints, I wonder how much damage they could do, particularly the Bombers. I really rate Essendon's midfield. Yeah. I mean, look, as far as I'm concerned with the Bombers, the uh, and Christian's talked about this a lot, is the percentages there so they can score. Uh, and whether they can continue to score in a final, I mean, depends where they would finish and who they would play. Mm. Um, if they end up playing Sydney, I'd be very invested because they always end up playing close games. A close ga- yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and you know, a couple of kicks either way against that side that they they clearly are quite competitive with. And and who knows, they could actually scrape through to a semi final. And well, if they did finish, if they finished eighth, say, and Sydney was Sydney was fifth, and they they did play in a in an elimination final, it's not going to be at the SCG. We're, pretty, Sydney, we're pretty much, you know, so so then where's the game played? And you almost think the Bombers are a huge chance of winning that. Mm, things to look out for because there are some interesting interesting subplots developing, especially when it turn, when, when it comes to finals, uh, COVID restrictions and stadium availability. Speaking uh, of teams in the middle band, though, and they might not even be in the middle band anymore. They might be falling to the bottom band, but Carlton, um, what do you think of Carlton's performance? <laughs> Uh, we'll touch on Carlton a little bit later uh, if we want to go into a bit more detail then because I think the question that I've got in mind, well, the statement I've got in mind for justified hyper-hyperbole kind of sums up the mood about Carlton at the moment. Okay. I jumped the gun a bit. We'll, but... we'll, te- we'll tease it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, moving on. Uh, well, look, um, the match review officer, Michael Christians, had another interesting weekend, I think we can kind of say. Uh, he's been peppered with decisions to make around... Um, incidents which occurred on the field, both football incidents and non-football incidents. And there have been a few critics of the way that he's handled some of these. I mean, Toby Green picks the ball up, goes to fend quite aggressively uh, with, a, with, a, with a forearm and, and gets Dangerfield in, in the throat. He gets two weeks. Joel Selwood um, approaches a contest where a player has their head over the ball, decides to bump with his hip uh, and gets off. That's in the same game. Mason Redmond does a, a tackle on Marcus Bontempelli where I wouldn't call it a sling tackle, but Bontempelli's head hits the turf, gets a week. Uh, Brandon Stasevich approaches Matt Taberner, who has his head over the ball. However, Taberner has overrun it. Um, so Taberner's turned around, got his head over the ball, and Stasevich has gone for the ball, hit him front on to his head and got off. There's a lot of inconsistency, and there's a clear issue here because... I don't think Chriso is up to the job. And I don't say this as a knock on Chriso himself. I say this because the AFL has got a few problems. There's a fast, the, the expectation about injuries and head knocks is evolving so fast that the current guidelines can't keep up with it. 
And the current guidelines are so poorly written, the little table where it's high, medium impacts, low impacts, mm. um, you know, high, head high, body impact, all this sort of stuff. I think it needs a significant upheaval. And I think that we need to have a panel again. It can't just be up to one guy who admittedly has also been out of the game for a long time to come up with these decisions because the the thought process around these incidents is changing at such a rapid pace that I think it's just gone beyond Crusoe. And I think he's, he's unfortunately, he's, he's getting more than what he bargained for. Well, that again, I, I probably, I agree with you about the, the panel. And uh, I think we need, you know, more than one person reviewing, looking at this stuff, but just going back to the, even the Joel Seld one, how he said he got off, he didn't even get off. He've got found guilty and got a fine. So that's where it's sort of, to me, it's like, well, Shouldn't that be a week? If you're guilty of bumping someone in the head, how do you get graded so low that exactly you, even you sort of say he got off, like, because yeah. he doesn't get a week, we all think he gets away with it, which technically is not true, but I'm the same. It's sort of like, well, if it is a guilty thing and we're trying to stamp that out, isn't a fine just taken out of it in a week. But again, I don't know about the gradings and enough, but that's the weird one for me that it is guilty. And it's uh, something that we're trying to stamp out, mm. but you don't lose a week, even though you're guilty. Mm. So it's, I think there's a lot that needs to be fixed. Um, in terms of the MRO. I think you're pretty harsh on Michael Christian, I must say. I, I am. I, I know exactly what you mean, that I'm harsh on him, but I'm harsh on the position that he holds more than the, the person yeah, himself. Because I don't think... He's not the one that's gone and written every single rule that, that he has to follow. You know, it's it's kind of like supporters getting frustrated with umpires calling things that technically are there, but it's it's the way the the, the actual rule is written. And all he's doing is actually looking at the guidelines and making a decision based off that. I agree 1,000% that we should have a panel. It should not be down to one person. There's too much margin for error with just one person deciding it. I'd have a panel and I'd have him on the panel. There's no reason why he should be given the boot. I don't think he's necessarily done anything wrong. He's just been put in an an awkward sort of position to to be um, basically the judicial system for the AFL. I would would argue that... um you'd probably want someone who's been in the game a bit more recently to understand footy mechanics and the way that the AFL is trying to take these sorts of incidents where it's like, you got to turn the body. You can't go in with a high arm. Like if you had someone who retired, you know, last year, for instance, like a Bryce Gibbs or a, you know, pick a, pick a name really. Um, It's (laughs) Cade Simpson or, um, you know, Tom Scully, uh, someone like this, who's, who's, out of the game recently yeah. put him on a panel with with someone who does have a medical background perhaps and can sort of say well this action here would have caused can, can cause this and then maybe you get more consistent and acceptable uh responses from a panel yeah that's fine i'm all for having a panel but i go back to what every time there's that we have some sort of incident like this um and we've had a few this week we always talk about the same thing that the the actual guidelines the way it's all written the emphasis on the the outcome um, is ridiculous. And that's what needs an overhaul. And yeah. I'll continue to bang on about it and say that until such time as we ever get this changed. Because you can look at all the incidents and if you showed, if you lined up four or five incidents from the weekend, and this is the thing, it's not over the last year. It's not over the year. It's the same weekend. Week week. What? Yeah, and and in some cases, the same game. You know, yeah. you line these all up and you got someone out that doesn't follow the sport to say which one do you think's two weeks which one do you think got off which one do you think's one week which one's three people will no one's getting it right and that's yeah. the biggest problem and I, I look at the toby green incident I, should should he should he have got two weeks 
well, yes, but but in this but in the same breath, I would say that Selwood should also have been suspended yes. as well. So I think when you're looking at them, and as you say, in the same game, you go, how can this happen? Um, whereas I think Green absolutely deserved to get the maybe maybe one week. Maybe, maybe Which one was worse? Uh, the intent of Selwood was much worse. Yeah. Toby it Green's an, an aggressive player in that he will try and fend off. Yeah. And yeah, he got it wrong, but it's more of a football act than you could see Selwood's eyes and, and he'd braced for it to be on the side and mm. it wasn't looking at the footy. And I thought that was an ugly, ugly. And they're the things that we want to stamp out of the game because you are able to fend off. Yeah. Fending off is a part of the game. Coming in and hip and shouldering, hip and hip and shouldering someone yes, in the, sure. in the head hip and is shouldering. not part of the game. So and yeah, if you don't I, want it to be part of the game, rewrite the rules for that. Rewrite that. Yeah. Exactly. And, I, and, I, that's, I, and that's why I say that Michael Christian is probably not, he, he's probably copying a bit more criticism yeah, than yeah, yeah. he deserves. The expectations are moving faster than the rules are keeping up with him. Yeah. I think is, is the issue. Yeah. So, and we've seen it all year, you know, we go, go right back to um, the Dangerfield incident early in, in round two or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And we've had it all throughout the year where we've been debating, well, should it be three? Should it be one? Should it be four? Should it be off? Um, yeah, buddy, that's, buddy, last week. That's the know? other one that gets me. Can you even go back to the Bailey Fritch one, which was similar to the high fend off and that it went to appeal and the tribunal overturned it. So, again, I just can't understand how mm. it's all run by the AFL. How are we <laughs> not there at all? And then they go, Yeah, we got it. Like, yeah, I, again, the, the process needs to be more smooth. Like, I get the you know, there, there should always be a right to an appeal. Uh, but the way, well, again, I would love to, I don't, I don't have the stats on it. It seems like all the appeals seem to be successful recently. Yeah, I think there's all but one or two have been pretty successful this season. And and, and that's the thing. Green may well get off now because of the precedent set by an incident like the one involving Fritch. So, Here's a question. I, I'm, I don't know this answer. If you get a, a a match suspension or multiple weeks, are you also, do you also cop a fine? No, isn't it one or the other? Yeah. Why, why not both? Why fines? I don't understand fines in general. What is three thousand dollars going to do for Selwood when you know when it comes to? Is he going to think about his back pocket again next time so he's going into a contest? If you, if you run a red light and get a three hundred dollar fine or whatever it is, you're that, not no, gonna... no, no, no. That, that's 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 irrelevant to the. I'm saying if he got a week, would he be much more likely to care about the the way I'm he saying goes give into them contests? both. Give him both. Why not have a? Why not have <laughs> yeah. a? Why not get both? Yeah. You can't play this week, and you have to pay a three thousand dollar fine. Well, yeah, that's fair. I think it's pretty clear that um, the whole, that section of the AFL community needs a bit of an upheaval. So maybe we leave it there and see what the listeners think. You can uh, give us your feedback at footy tips on Twitter if you would like. Um, Justified hype or hyperbole time. I'll say a statement. Yeah, we're flying through this episode. Well, we got a few longer longer, uh, justified hype statements that we probably need to flesh out a bit. So we'll get into them. Right. Jake, David Teague has two weeks left as Carlton coach. Um, gee, that's hard to answer. I'm going to say justified. I think it could be it for him. Yeah, It's not the losses and it's not the record. It's who, the type of- who they've lost to and how they've played in critical moments for the season. They're the two things that really concern me. To lose to Gold Coast and North Melbourne um, in, in the last couple of weeks when the season was still well and truly on the line 
um, and finals were still up for grabs, is that to me shows that he hasn't got every that the hunger isn't there. Does do the do the do they want do the players want to change? Do the players look at something like Alistair Clarkson available and the, and the talk around Ross Lyon and all these senior coaches and think maybe we do want a change? I think that's the point that that has nailed it for me, and I think that he's 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 just about done as Carlton coach, and the reason is because there are better coaches available, mm. like tried coaches that have excellent records. And look, Carlton's done the training wheels route twice with Brendan Bolton and with um with David Teak, and I don't, it hasn't I just, worked. I yeah. don't think it's worked. So and then well, you know, following on from the Malthouse debacle of many years ago now, but. Um, I don't think Bolton, sorry, I don't think um, Clarkson and I don't think Lyon are Malthouse types um, without going into too much detail. I don't think they're, they're Malthouse sort of Old the vibe. School. Yeah, the vibe's going to be a bit different. I mean, Christian, you you said a stat before about the Blues and their record against good teams. It's just staggering. Yeah, well, yeah, just one of the queries when we were talking about how far away the pointy, you know, the, the good teams are from the rest of the team. I ran a ladder against top eight. Uh, so all your matches against the current top eight teams and sort of saying, you know, there's only four teams with a 50% or better record. So Geelong, Sydney, Bulldogs, Melbourne, they're the only teams that have, you know, one more uh, or at least 50% of the games they played against top eight teams. There's only one team winless against the current top eight and that's Carlton at zero uh, eight. Yes. Uh, I mean, West Coast surprised me as well. They're one and six against the current um, top eight, but yeah, Carlton, Carlton is the only winless one. So Again, yeah, it's probably that there's been, you know, and you just spoke about it, there's been losses to the teams below Carlton that, you know, you didn't see coming, but they also haven't been able to sort of um, match it or even. Well, that's the thing. They're, they're not good enough to, they can't beat the top eight teams. So they're not good enough to be, they're not a top eight, nine, 10 side, but they're also losing to, they're not even doing like a port where they <laughs> can beat everyone below them, but struggle against the top sort of three or four teams. They, they can't, they're just, they're inconsistent. They're not playing. They're not. The, the thing that's really frustrated me, and this is me having my Carlton supporter hat on, is the lack of effort in intensity and will to win when the season was still on the line. It's not like that. There was a there was a point where okay, they're only they're they're a win away from being right in the mix, and there they'd was no North, hunger to win against. They beat North and that, Gold Coast. They'd be in the eight. Yeah, against teams that are. At the bottom of the ladder, and that is the real concerning part. Um, you know, if it was, if they were, if they had three fewer wins and they couldn't make it, then you can kind of understand that the the motivation has gone. But I mean, it's just a really couple of really poor performances. And whether you blame, and I, again, I'm not someone who blames the coach for everything because I don't. I think I look at the talent, and I think he's not got an awful lot to work with. But you know, I I look at the Blues thinking, all right. If we want to secure someone like Alistair Clarkson, we probably need a strike sooner rather than later. And it could well be his last two games. Well, uh, I mean, we've talked about this before on the podcast, but they might also end up with three All-Australians and miss the eight, which I think we've found out uh, recently doesn't happen that often. <laughs> if you, well, you got... I can't imagine that if teams ever had three All-Australians, um, potentially the full forward, full back and a midfielder and not made the top 10. I mean, it's crazy. It shows mm. that this, you know, the Blues have three, four, five elite players, but the drop off, drop off is staggering. And we've spoken about this before, particularly um, in the midfield. It's the drop off is, it, it's embarrassing, really. 
Fair enough. Uh, moving to a different, from a non-finals team to the ultimate final, uh, all players who play for a flag-winning team throughout a season should get a premiership medal, Christian. Um, not for me. Uh, so, yeah. Old school. But, yeah, well, I, again, I'd make a case for it. I'm, I'm, I'm not dead against it. I just think at the moment, no, I think you need to. And, and it was something I also thought of early in the pod when Jake said it's one of the most even sports in the world. I think it is. It's because you need 18 people to play in a game or, you know, 22 if you're including the interchange bench. Um, it's not five on a basketball court. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, yeah, exactly. It keeps going up. Uh, you know, basketball and things like that and even maybe soccer with just the 11 on the field. One or two stars can stand out a lot more. And it goes back to Giants on Friday night. What a what a difference 22 players with the same buying can make. They were clearly deficient of talent. They weren't at their best 22 they didn't have as much talent as Geelong, but they they were just impressive the whole night. And I just watched it as, as it was a whole 22-player buy-in. They just all played. So, again, I think it, it just – to win a grand final, I think, yeah, all the credit goes to the 22 that played on that day. That's just me, though. Well, so I only raise this because if the Dogs win the flag and Josh Bruce has had such a wonderful season and then misses out on, on, on winning a premiership medallion – uh, yeah. I think it would be incredibly stiff. I actually ran a poll on Twitter uh, yesterday, had 153 votes. I said, would you prefer the AFL offer premiership medals to all players who played for a flag-winning team or keep it as just the game day 22? Or what was the result? It was 60% for all players okay. that have played. for. So, so yeah. an NBA style where you, if you've played for the team that wins it, you end up getting a ring. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of this. I'm kind of on Christian's side because I look at the NBA and I, you watch it and the NBA is the opposite to the AFL in the sense that one player can make a world of difference. You know, if you put, if you, who's the best player in the league right now? Bont. If you took the Bont and put him in North, North isn't going to be flag favorites next year. But if you take KD and put him in any, any NBA team, they're just about favorites to win the league. So yeah, I'm all for what I don't like about the NBA though. And, and a lot of other sports giving every single player is there are players that literally played Four minutes throughout the throughout the okay, right. finals. Let's that, change the parameters. Let's that say are, that are NBA world champions. It's like give us a spell. No, you're not. What What about if you play 10, 10 AFL games? Like there, there are cases but where. But then what happens if what happens if Bonton Pally plays nine and then breaks his leg? Then, then you then, oh, should have been nine. Then you're stiff. But it's not like you're Bob Murphy in 2016, where you, you're captain of the club that has yeah. this wonderful season, and then you do your ACL and you go down. Or Tony Modra, 1997, wins the Coleman and does an ACL in the prelim. Like how what, stiff what is a, that? What about you? The 22 or 23 get the medal um, on the day, and then the club. I think they do this in other sports. I'm not where the club gets two or three to to allocate to other players. <laughs> That's going to spell issues, isn't it? Sorry, mate. Contract extension. We'll sign you for 20% less, but we'll give you one of the spare premiership medallions. <laughs> um, I don't know. I just, I, I, I think it'd be hard. stiff if Josh Bruce, uh, and it happens every, it happens most years. So I know, I know I'm singling out Bruce in this instance and they haven't even won the premiership, but like, it just got me thinking about that. And the fact that I think the AFL could possibly do it better. But maybe it's because I'm like, if maybe, they maybe, gave Josh Bruce on, would he feel like he was really part of it? It may take a while for the culture to change, but if, because AFL in AFL, it's so used to it being the way that it is. Mm. But I think in, in 10 years time, if you started doing it and you'd contributed to a campaign. Yeah. Um, no, I agree with that be, because without be Josh Bruce, they probably don't get to where they are and they don't win it. I, I can understand that. 
Um, but every year you're going to have players and not just through injury. You're going to have players yeah. that don't make it, you know, the grand final, every grand final so, week. It's always like, who's going to be the unlucky couple of players that are on that fringe that don't get the call up. And, so you hand out 35 medals instead of 23. But I mean, then what about the 36 guy? Well, the, again, that maybe there's always going to be gotta... someone that's stiff. Cool. That's the thing. Unless you give it to everyone, but then I think it devalues winning a premiership medal. But you've never rated a premiership medal anyway. No, I don't. It's not. It's no brown. <laughs> See, you want to give more out. It's, they only give one brownlow medal out. They don't give bloody thirty brownlows out every year. Uh, what do you think? Footy tips at Twitter. Let us know if you have any thoughts about that. Um, all right, another one here. The lightning or the weather delay rule needs desperate revisiting, Christian. Yeah, if it happens after nine pm on a Monday night, we we all get to go home. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, Again, I'm not I'm not 100% across all the rules. I was sort of, we were, even the guys in the office last night, we were on Twitter, uh, AFL tweeted an update. Obviously, Fox and Channel 7 were updating it where they are. Uh, I don't think anybody don't think, knew the rule. Does. I, I just need to see the rule. But I, mm. I'm always a bit sceptical on whether they would follow the rule to the letter of the law. Like mm. if they would just, if the, if the rule was we can only stop for 45 minutes and if we can't go back on, we have to call it. Would it get to the 46th minute where they go, oh, close enough, we'll go back on? I would just be big on whatever the rule is, as long as they're following it. Um, but again, yeah, not, not across the whole rule to know whether it needs to be changed. So in, in brief terms, if a match is unable to continue within the time scheduled for the match for reasons beyond the control of either team, including in the case of Lightning, uh, if Lightning is present, uh, if the game is after halftime, if the halftime interval has been reached and the match is unable to proceed, the... The scores of the teams at the time the match was interrupted shall be deemed the final scores of the match. Now, tell me that if I know this is that old adage, but if this happens in a game where there's more on the line and the the margin was three or four points in the last quarter or in the third quarter, uh, and the team's kicking with the wind or something like that, that you'd just be a bit hard done by, wouldn't you? Oh, absolutely. We always say whenever we're comparing it, you know. Oh, imagine if it was a grand final. Well, yeah, imagine if it was the grand final. Because remember last year's grand final, there was actually talk that there might be thunder right. and lightning in the area up in Brisbane. So imagine if it was the grand final and it's it's two minutes into the third quarter and one team's leading by a point. I mean, it's ridiculous. But, I think it needs not, but then on the other side, it's like, well, what's the alternative? You've come really? back and play the rest of the game the next day, sure, the following I'm, week. Yeah, I'm sort of... Yeah, I'm against you. Flip a coin, of, like what do you it's do? Written in stone, you're going to have a point where it's yeah, it's going to be heartbreak for someone. But as long as it's written in stone and we've written it and we wrote it 50 years ago and it happened once <laughs> on a Monday night in Perth, I'm happy. Like again, <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't be comfortable where they go. Oh, this is the rule, but it's one point. It's a grand final, so we won't use the rule. It's if you write something, get it right and stick by. Old rainy night in Stoke. Um, yeah, okay, that's fair. That's fair. So you'd be happy. Well, you probably wouldn't be happy, but if the rule's there. We'll keep no, happy. Heart, yeah, heartbreaks yeah. part as well. Again, if if you can, can you imagine losing a flag because the rule and we follow the rule, you you just have to accept that in sport, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I think fair enough. I think I agree like with you. In cricket, with the Duckworth Duckworth Lewis. How? So if you're a certain amount of points up at a certain point of the game, okay. you can say, okay, you've won it. But if it's like we were saying, how rare would that be though? If someone's three points in front halfway through the third quarter. I don't think you can call it and say, okay, that's the game. How okay. can you? Come back come back on Tuesday afternoon at midday and play the last 20 minutes. Maybe it should be, maybe it should be 
fine for through for the home and away season, but a final is a diff, is is a new parameter. Final is a new set of rules. So like draws in a regular season again yeah. versus yeah. Okay, I'm happy for a, an interrupted game if it's within ten points or, or whatever in the third quarter to be considered. If we can't play it, we're going to just split it. It's a draw because how oh. again? How often does this happen? Yeah, very rarely. But in a final, for the one-off time in a hundred years, it could happen in a final. I think that they have. I don't think they can call the game if it's that close. Oh, we're in a once in a one hundred year pandemic at the moment, so can't you tell me we're going to have to have this again in a hundred years. <laughs> I don't know. Just... Anyway, uh, I thought it was worth worth chatting about. It's a good, uh, oh, it is good chat. Yeah. <laughs> All right, last one, Jake. West Coast trading for Tim Kelly will ultimately be more harmful to West Coast than fruitful. Yeah, but you could say that about any trade. Like, eventually he's going to retire and you say, oh, well, they don't have Tim Kelly anymore. You know, Chris Judd left Carlton. Oh, look at Josh Kennedy now. So you can always make that case. But I think they did the right thing. West Coast 100% did the right thing in going for Tim Kelly. And you got to remember, they didn't really go for him. He wanted to leave Geelong. He made it public. They had just won a premiership. They were just the hottest team in football just about. And they thought, okay, let's add Tim Kelly. And if you remember back to when they signed him, everyone was basically giving West Coast the next three flags, as we tend to do, saying, well, they were a great side and they've just added another top-line mm. midfielder. And he was a top-five player in the league that last year at Geelong and, and actually in with a chance of winning the Brownlow medal. was That's how good Tim Kelly was. He's been good for West Coast. I don't think you can I'm necessarily... Not denying it. Yeah. Yeah. And West Coast were in the period that they had we've spoken about on this podcast before where they had a lot of their a lot of their top players were, you know, in the in the back half of their career, you know, look th- around the 30 30 year mark plus. So they wanted to maximize those guys. It's not often you get a group of of Kennedy and Darling and Sheed and Gaff and Redden and Chewy and McGovern and Hearn and all these guys together playing at the same Time so, so, but with the value of, oh, it's not even hindsight; it's current sight. Would you rather have had in 2019 picks 14, 24, 37, no, and 2020's no pick 18 in in a way that you can kind of see where the Eagles are heading, and it's it's not not looking pretty. But we weren't saying that. This is the thing that frustrates me because we didn't say this at the time. We didn't say this. Oh, they got Tim Kelly. I would have rather picked 14 and 17. No, you want you'd rather have Tim Kelly because they were in the window to win, and they still are. Yeah, I'm with, uh, probably still in the window for another year or two. So you don't agree with that, Matt? Oh, no, I don't think. I, don't, I, think... Still, I mean, they got to put a lot, get a lot more right than what they had this year. But I think they're still in the window in terms of where their list is at. But yeah, I'm with Jake in terms of and what you just said about, you know, we're in a one in a 100 year pandemic. <laughs> it's not often that a star of the competition is requesting a trade to yes, yes. not so much your club, but your state is where it started at. Yes. You've you've got to jump on those opportunities. Again, this wasn't something where West Coast went and, you know, tried to find a star and had to convince him and convince the club to trade. It was they had to pay a little bit over to, you know, to beat Frio and to to satisfy Geelong. Um but yeah, he, as Jake said, pre-pod, um, one of the favourites to win the Brownlow when he was up for trade. You, you, they don't come along all the time. So yeah, they made the right decision. I would have thought. Let me change the statement or the question slightly. Then, uh, how I'm much agreeing with you? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I'm actually not disagreeing with you guys. This is just for the discussion <laughs> yeah. element of it all. Um, if I, if I change the goalpost a bit, should West Coast have bitten the bullet the year prior? 
because they just won the flag that year. If they'd had him for 2019, how different could it be? What do you mean? As Would in getting him a year earlier? Getting him the year earlier. Because he was, he, was, he was gettable the year before, but no one wanted to come to the table. Yeah, but I also don't think he was probably at the level he was. But he would have been at that level. If you're talking about how he develops, he would have been at that level at the Eagles. Yeah, but how do you know how somebody develops? He'd only played two years of football or whatever at the time. So I I honestly don't think West Coast did. I think they did everything right in getting him. He's been a very good player for them. He's he's missed a few games with injury, but he's been very good. Um, It's funny. He probably doesn't actually fit the way they play. And they, they might, they, they should, it's the game style with West Coast that isn't really holding up. They've got enough talented players to win them enough games, but that game style is really not holding up in the last 18 months. And if they can, if they can make a few changes and make a few adjustments, they've still got the quality there to be a top four side next year. I have no doubt about it. Um, particularly given how dominant they are or have been at home. Um, last year was a real write-off year for them with what happened. They're not a great traveling side. And and I kind of look at last year as it didn't really happen. But West Coast West Coast did the, for, for a number of reasons. But West Coast did the right thing in getting him. And yeah. you, you won't convince me otherwise. And it's like with Buddy. I'm not I, trying to convince you otherwise. No, not, not necessarily you, but anybody. And with Buddy, everyone's always like, well, they didn't win a flag with with Franklin. It's like, yeah, but he's done more than enough. And he's... Re- he's you can't look at that and say, "Oh, they did the wrong thing by getting him." They should have gone. It's and, different for a, they should have kept picks. It's like, no, if you got a chance to get Buddy Franklin or to get Tim Kelly at, at that point in a non-football get, state versus a football state like Perth, where you know Joe Muggs could roll up for West Coast and the team, the fans would still show up, uh, as opposed to Buddy. You know, once Buddy leaves, give him a premiership medal. It's probably going to be a, a noticeable drop off. That's the yeah. Thing. It's, I'm not saying it's the exact same scenario, yeah, but yeah, yeah. my point is. Winning a flag isn't the be-all, end-all. You can't purely judge a success yep. on winning a flag. They were in a window, and they still are, mm-hmm. and they went went for an A-grade player, a top five, top seven player at that time, uh, and still one of the better midfielders going around, let's be honest. He's an A-grade midfielder that was added to an already A-grade midfield. Um, and, yeah, if they go out and win the flag last year, you're not. You're never. You're not even talking about this. No, you would no, not say not. this. I don't know who the picks are that they could have got. Not to say they would have taken exactly those picks, but give me Tim Kelly any day of the week over two players now. I'm not saying I, in five or six years' time it might be a different story. I might want the two two players, but for now, where in, in five six years' time. All those players that I just mentioned are probably not playing anymore. No, two years' time, two to three years' time. Exactly. So they did the right thing. Fair enough. Uh, heated chats, but we like a heated chat on this podcast. Um, Good episode today. <laughs> you're going to say that, are you? Yeah. Uh, well, if you've made it this far, thanks for tuning in. Uh, don't forget your footy tips if your competition is close. These last couple of weeks of gold and make sure you get those tips in because you could be walking away with, uh, I don't know, prize if your competition has one. So. Yeah, not if you're on footy tips, though. Uh, no, no, no. As in like a competition prize within your own competition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Christian, thanks for joining us. Jake, good to speak with you as always. To everyone at home, we'll speak to you in the next episode. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod wherever you get your podcasts.